Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the patterns we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you know whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers who names, whose names are in the book of life. Thank you, Cathy. Uh, keep your Bibles open, please. We're going to work our way through these verses. Uh, we're going to learn from them, which is going to be hard to do if you don't have them in front of you, so keep them there. Uh, so you can keep referring back to them as we yeah, study them together. Um, I've noticed that every uh, few years, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a new craze comes around that every household, or perhaps more literally every mum, uh, seems to have to have. Uh, and by craze, I mean craze. Uh, these things aren't just something that you have in your household. These are things that you are. Um, a few years back, it was Thermomix. Uh, I don't know if you remember those really expensive blenders um, that heat as well, apparently. Uh, but when I was living when I was living at home, it was Enyo. I don't know. If any, does anyone remember Enyo? It was it was massive for a while, and my mum got right into it, and her sisters got right into it, and so we were an Enyo house. Um, if you did Enyo, you know what that means. Um, you'd gotten the spiel. You you knew that you were Enyo. Enyo, the, the beautiful microfiber, not like any other microfiber with a specially patented formula that will definitely guarantee to clean 99% of germs from any surface. You had an Enyo for this, you had an Enyo for that, you had a blue Enyo for, uh, for, for windows, you had a green Enyo for benches, you had a brown Enyo for toilets. Um, that's not true, by the way. <laughs> you, had a, you had a mop for Enyo, you had an Enyo duster, you had an Enyo for a car, which is a terrible idea, it looked awful, didn't do the job. And you boasted to all your friends, we throw out all of our cleaning products in our house, we just use water now, which is not true, you just actually pack them away, but... That was what you did. You were an Enyo house, and this was your life now. And it's ridiculous. 
<laughs> it was ridiculous. But, but, but that's the thing, uh, whether it's Thermomix or Enyo or more recently doTERRA essential oils, it's, it's, these things aren't just products. These things are ways of life. I see that's a trigger point for some people. <laughs> but they're not just something that you use. This becomes your mindset. It becomes what you talk about. It becomes the way you view life. It's not just a thing. It's a mindset. This strong belief means a changed mindset, a changed way of looking at the world. And that's true in the book of Philippians as well. We've seen throughout this book again and again this strong belief that Paul's been talking about, this, this trusting in a, a better saviour for a better and more beautiful hope. And again and again he's been reminding us that this strong belief means a strongly changed mind as well. And not just a strongly changed mind, but a changed mindset, a changed way of looking at the world and facing the world. Uh, we saw it a couple of weeks back when we looked at chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. This new mindset. But what is it? Where does that mindset leave us? Now, it's fixed on him. We've been seeing that throughout. But where's it heading? Where's it going? And what sort of life is it shaping? Well, that's what Paul unpacks for us in this passage today. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we work through it. What sort of life, what sort of heading is this life taking? Now, we left off a couple of weeks ago uh, in chapter 3, almost halfway through a sentence, but not quite. Um, but, but looking at this great joy-filled confidence that we have through belief in Jesus, this, this confidence that's unmatched in his righteousness and in our right standing in him through, uh, before God, both now and forever. It's a great confidence but there's a caution. Paul says, be confident, but not overconfident. Look at what he says in verse 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So Paul's been saying how, how joyful and how confident he's been because he trusts in Jesus' righteousness. He trusts in Jesus' right standing uh, that he's given to him before God. And he trusts in the life that he's received, this resurrection life. But now he just wants to say, but <laughs> just remember, though I trust in those things, I haven't got them yet. I'm looking forwards to those things. I haven't re received them yet. They are true, but not quite his. Not fully. And it's that already but not yet that frames Paul's posture as a Christian. It's not a posture of having arrived, you know, we've got it all now so we can just kind of chill out and take it easy until Jesus comes back. No, he says our posture as a believer is this posture of leaning forwards, straining, pressing on, so that all of these things that we have in Jesus, we will grab hold of ourselves one day. You know, I mean, you see it in the, in the way he writes of it there. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Now, 
Paul's making a word play in the Greek. He's repeating the same word over and over again. But, but his point is clear, isn't it? Jesus has taken hold of him and Jesus has taken hold of something good and he's looking forward to that day when he can grab it too. Um, you can think of it like this. You know, Jesus has arrived at the dinner party and he's saving your space. You just need to arrive yourself and sit down. That's what Paul's saying. A place in glory, a place beyond death has been won for you by Jesus. And he's holding it now for you. So press on and arrive to take hold of it. It's yours. This prize of life in and with God, freed from suffering and sin, all of that is yours. Jesus has won that. Just get there. Take hold of it. Without Jesus, there's no receiving. No amount of pressing on matters when you're on the wrong track. With Jesus, receiving is guaranteed. We press on, we run, because it's there. The race is won. The prize has been offered and it's got your name on it already. It's yours. So go get it. That's the posture of the Christian life. That's the posture of life with Jesus, this leaning forward, this single-minded pressing on until we reach the end. We haven't arrived yet. The promises are ours, but we haven't received them fully. And so we keep going. We keep going. Uh, it's tradition that as a kid you get told the tortoise, uh, the, 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 sorry, the story of the tortoise and the hare. I don't, I don't know why. We just somehow absorb this story from, from somewhere. It, it's one of those you know, essential life lesson parables we get. Uh, you, you just pick it up. Don't be like the hare, don't be cocky, don't get complacent, finish the race. I mean, you know, you know the story, off, off the hare races, he's miles ahead, he's so far ahead, so confident, he stops to have a nap, which normally I'm in favour of. Naps are good. Not in this context, because what happens, he wakes up, uh, he thinks I should probably finish the race eventually, he gets towards the finish line and there is, you know, the tortoise stepping across way before him. And we get the lesson, don't be complacent, don't get cocky, and don't stop until the race is finished, no matter how much you think it's in the bag. And Paul's kind of saying the same. Don't get cocky, don't get complacent, don't stop, but keep going until the race is finished. And that's a good reminder for us. Because actually we live in a world which is all about arriving, isn't it? It's all about saying, there is a place you can get to that is good, that is everything you've dreamed of. And you can get there in this life. You know, we, we talk about having the perfect job and we envision the perfect job as being a job where we can really delight in our work but not be stressed by it and just enjoy it. Um, people talk about building their forever home. You know, we, we look forward to this day, oh, this is going to be my forever home. It's not, but that's how we talk about it. Um, we talk about having, you know, the perfect family. We'll be able to rest when, when our kids are 18 or when our kids are 21 or whatever it is. Or the perfect holiday, you know, when I retire and start touring, then life will be whatever it is. Our world says there's a point at which you can say, we've arrived, we've reached our goal, we've made it. Now we know that's not really true. Um, we know that every time you reach one of these uh, summits, um, they're all false summits. You get to the top and rather than looking back at all your accomplishments, you see there's just another peak ahead that you have to climb now. But the issue is we end up doing the same as Christians, don't we? 
Or we can easily fall into the same trap. You know, I, I, I feel like I've made it now. I'm not a, not a baby Christian anymore. I've been doing this for quite a while. I'm feeling quite comfortable. I'm doing well. I'm established. You know, I've, I've, I feel like I've found my groove. All that effort, you know, that's for young people. <laughs> I'm content right here. And Paul says, no. That's not how it works. You don't arrive in this life. Your arrival is in the next. And your posture now is pressing on. Pressing on to take hold of that day, of what Jesus has taken hold of for you. Single-mindedly leaning forwards to that finish line. How? By keeping on knowing Jesus more. That's, that's what pressing on looks like. Growing in our knowledge of Jesus, being closer to him. Paul's spoken of that already. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. The goal is knowing Jesus perfectly, seeing him face to face, being known by him perfectly. And our pressing on is knowing him more, is growing in him more. Paul says, I haven't arrived. I'm still learning Jesus. I'm still leaning forwards. And you should too. Press on. So let me ask, is, is that how you view your Christian life? Do you view it as this journey of keeping on? And not just plodding on, but striving and straining and leaning forwards and yearning. Are you moving forward? Um, or even more, are you being intentional about moving forward? Are you looking for ways to grow, looking for ways to be challenged and change and to be closer to Jesus? Are you seeking them out? Are you pressing on? Because let me tell you, you haven't arrived yet. <laughs> there is more. You will arrive if you trust in Jesus, that's guaranteed. But you are not there yet. So don't stop straining, don't stop pressing on to know him more. Now, what does that look like? Well, Paul says we can find out what that looks like by looking at the right people. But not everyone is the right people. That's what he says in, in verse 17 through 19. Let me read those verses for you. Verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. See, Paul says you, you, you can't just follow everyone's example because there are some there who call themselves Christians, who profess to be followers of Jesus, but their lives make their words a lie. That's, that's the sort of people who Paul's talking about here. Not false teachers, not his opposition, but people who call themselves Christians but aren't living it out. And, and, and they're a, a, a tragedy enough that it, that it moves him to tears. He's, he's emotional over these, these people. They're, they're self-delusional and trying to deceive others as well. I mean, look at the way he describes them. He says they're actually living as enemies of the cross. You know, their, their way of life is, is opposite to the cross. It's not that pattern of self-giving and self-sacrificing that Jesus showed us. But it's, instead, it's selfish and self-indulgent. He says their end, 
Their end isn't this resurrection and the prize of knowing Jesus perfectly and that he's been talking about. Uh, this isn't just a second-rate style of Christianity he's talking about. He says their end is destruction. Their life apart from God ends in death apart from God. Because, as he says, their God is their bellies. Um, they're, they're ruled by their appetites, we might say. And ultimately, their minds are set on earthly things. They're caught in the here and now. They are pressing on and straining, not for this goal that Jesus has called us to, but for this, for, for the stuff of this world, for life, and not Jesus. And Paul says, don't imitate them. Don't fall into that trap. Because what you and I have in Jesus is so much better. And not just, you know, not just a little bit better, but orders of magnitude better. Look how he describes it in verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What do you have? This is what you have. You have a belonging. You have a citizenship in heaven itself, a place where your name is on the door, where you belong. You have a hero. You have a saviour who rescues, who's given himself for you, who rules you graciously and generously. You have this hope. Uh, the hope of transformation, of, of renewal, of perfection. You have this power, not your power, not your self-will to change yourself, but Jesus' power, who is over all things and whose power is in at work in you and for you, to change you and to bring you to this end. What Paul says is, why strive for the here and now? Why bother working for this world when the future is golden? What you have coming is better by far. Don't exchange it for anything. Don't exchange it for anything. Uh, earlier this week, I was uh, cleaning up after dinner, as you do, packing away plates, stacking the dishwasher, etc., uh, and putting away all the food uh, back, in, back in the fridge or back in the cupboard. Um, and this is, this is how it usually goes. Um, take the spoon out of the sour cream, put the sour cream in the fridge, lick the spoon, put the spoon in the dishwasher. Take the yogurt, put the yogurt back in the fridge, lick the spoon, put the spoon in the dishwasher. Take the spoon out of the baby food, put the baby food in the fridge, lick the spoon. <laughs> Realise that was a mistake. <laughs> it's funny, the, the patterns you're getting. Thankfully, it was just pureed apple, um, the least offensive of all baby foods. But, you know, it's amazing how you can make apple weird. Like, you can. But, but that's the thing, isn't it? You, know, you and I, we, we sit down for dinner, uh, you know, beautiful home-cooked meal, our, our favourite dinner, it's laid out before us. We don't sit down to dinner and then think, ah, actually, I'm going to go and get the jar of baby food out of the fridge. Because why would you? <laughs> we have better. The, the food is better, isn't it? So we, we, we delight in it, we, we, we grab it, we, we want that, because it's better by far. But here's the thing. When it comes to the Christian life, some of you are choosing the baby food. Some of you are ignoring the riches that are put on offer, the better by far that is given to you freely, and you're choosing the baby food. 
Some of you are straining and striving for the things of this world. And your minds, though maybe not fully set on earthly things, are far too much set on them. And I want to plead with you this morning, stop. Just stop. It is not worth it. Walk that road too far and you may risk never coming back. Even just walk out a little and you miss out on so much. You have better in Jesus. You have a better which cannot compare to anything in this world, a a future beside which this life will look like cheap junk. That the best thing you can imagine in this world, the most ultimate thing you could ever grab will look like nothing compared to what's to come. Glory awaits. Glory is yours now. So live future-minded. Strive for that. I want to ask you to measure up your life. Um, it seems to me when I, when I think of our lives and the way we live, um, our lives kind of become divided into two columns. <laughs> um, there's things that we strive for and there's things that we do. Um, you know, the things that we strive for, they get our time, they get our money, our attention, our, our plans and all, uh, our energy, they get the lion's share. The things that we do, um, they get a little bit, but basically just enough to keep going. How does your life divide? What falls in what column? Are you striving for the Christian life? Does that get your attention and your effort and your thinking and your planning and your dreaming? Or does that fall into the doing column? You know, you're here, don't get me wrong. You're on rosters, uh, involved in stuff, but just doing it. Not striving, not pressing on. Where do the columns stand in your life? I think if we're honest, uh, all too often that distinction gets blurry, doesn't it? Life sneaks into that striving column and Jesus slips slowly out of it. And look, for some of you, uh, the ledge is pushed way across and it's all back to front. For all of us, we need care. Not because I'm telling you so, but because what Jesus is promising, what Jesus is offering, this future that awaits, it is so much better. Press on for it now. Strive and strain and look forward. It will transform your life, guaranteed. You won't miss out. You'll receive so much more. Live in such a way that you don't just imitate others who do this well, but that you become an example worthy of imitation. What a a gift that is. Um, I I, I read this uh, epitaph uh, during the week, and I want to share it with you. This is... This is what someone's gravestone said. Of this blessed man, let this praise be given. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. That's good, isn't it? Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. That's what Jesus is calling us to. To be people who are so heavenly minded, so future minded, striving for what's to come. That you can see it and taste it. What would a church filled with people be like? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Let's find out.
Let's find out. Future-minded, that's the kind of life Paul calls us to continue, uh, to have. And it's the kind of life he calls us to continue in. Um, Look how he repeats it at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I know, it's, it's a mixed metaphor. Um, stand firm in your striving forwards. You know, it doesn't, doesn't physically make sense, but you get the picture. Just keep going. I love you guys. Don't waver. Keep pressing on. But then Paul does something that seems a bit weird, doesn't he? Um, he draws us to something which seems completely out of place and almost interruptive. Uh, look at verse 2 and 3. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. I mean, it feels abrupt, like we've just been talking about heaven and how good it is and striving for it, and now we're talking about settling arguments. Like, But it's the same theme. Um, Paul reminds us of that by the last line of verse 3, this, this uh, idea of being in the book of life. He says that this is a future thing. This is a goal-oriented thing. What he's saying is getting along as Jesus' people is an essential part of our striving forward together as Jesus' people. Getting along is an essential part of our striving forward together. Now, we don't know what the disagreement was um, People try and make all sorts of uh, guesses at what it might have been. Um, Clearly, it's not a light thing, otherwise they would have sorted out. Clearly, it's not too big a thing, otherwise Paul would have weighed it in. It's just they're not getting along on some reason. But Paul's point isn't sorted out. That's not actually what he says. His point is it's getting in the way. It's a distraction. You guys have been contending together for the gospel, partnering together to to see the gospel grow and to to see that it's shared. But this disagreement is disturbing that. And that's an issue. I mean, imagine it. Say say your country's at war, things are going badly, um, but they've got this this great new weapon system in the works. You know, they've been working on it. It's maybe a a new tank, and it's going to turn the tide of the war, and it's, it's ready, and it's just ready to be rolled out. Uh, but it's delayed because the committee organising it couldn't work out what colour to paint it. Like, it's stupid, isn't it? Why jeopardise the war over a silly disagreement? And, and that's kind of what Paul's saying. Don't let a disagreement get in the way of gospel work because gospel work matters. It's so important. So should we all just agree on everything? <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of stupid. Uh, A church in which everyone agreed on everything would be a church of one. Uh, It doesn't work like that. We're not like that. But that's not what Paul commands. He doesn't say, think likewise on absolutely everything. Do you see what he writes? Be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, if you've been following through Philippians closely, you say, that reminds me of something. Uh, It reminds me of chapter 2, verse 5. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In fact, the words are almost identical. And what was Jesus' mindset? Self-sacrificing, self-giving, grace. Don't just come to agree on everything. Share Jesus' mind. That's the key here. See others as Jesus sees others. That's what Paul's saying. 
See them as people to serve and to love and to bear with and to give ourselves for. See each other with the eyes of grace. Now, that won't necessarily solve all of the disagreements that we ever have, but it puts them into context marvellously, doesn't it? You haven't arrived yet. You're not perfect. So maybe your point of view isn't perfect either. Have a little humility. Look at yourself closely. But also, the person that you're struggling with, they haven't arrived yet too. They're not perfect yet, so show them grace. See them with the eyes of Jesus. See, it seems to me that we, we sometimes have these weird expectations of each other. You know, how could that person disagree with me? Or how could that person speak that way or say those things? It's, it's just not right. And yes, maybe it, maybe it isn't right. But the Bible tells us none of us are. <laughs> We're not right. We're not perfect. We're all sinners. We're all works in progress. We all stuff up, let each other down, cause hurt. So see people as Jesus sees people. Be gracious. Have the mindset of Jesus, forbear with one another. Because at the end of the day, it's not just your relationship at stake, it's the work of the gospel at stake. And so for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the salvation and the eternal fortunes of many, have the mind of Jesus. Because the way you see each other, the way you act toward each other, that's essential to our gospel witness together. So love each other, forbear with each other, see each other with the mind of Jesus and with eternity in view. Because that's the mindset of Jesus' people. Looking forwards and pushing forwards. Looking to the bright future that's promised in him. There used to be a, um, there used to be a cliched cr criticism of Christianity. You know, that, that Christians are uh, so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly use. Um, actually, I think it's completely backward. If we are not completely heavenly minded, we'll be of no earthly use. <laughs> of what, what use to us or what use to anything is more earthly minded people. We have billions of earthly minded people and it's not getting us very far, is it? We need people who are completely heavenly minded. So fix your minds on Jesus. Press on for that which he has taken hold of you for. Live for eternity. And you will be the most useful, that is the most gospel-minded, gospel-centered person around for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to be people whose minds are fixed on Jesus to be people who are pressing on to reach the goal that Jesus has already won for us. Father, we confess it's very easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for our eyes to be lowered and for us to start living for earthly things and for earthly goals. Father, forgive us for this, we ask, and help us to lift our eyes. Help us not to trade the glories of our heavenly citizenship for the cheap pleasures of this world but instead teach us to strive for Jesus, to press on in our walk with him, that we would know him and know him more and more each day and be a community of people who are pushing forward to see him. Father, may our striving be for him and for everything that he has won in his death and resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen.